It's time for the movie raid, and tonight's victim is production designer Mick Strong that has done several of the Nightmare on Elm Street films, such as Nightmare of War 5, Candyman, Blade, half a dozen other films. Hello. Hey, how you doing? I, uh, I have been around for a while. That's true. <laughs> what are you doing now? What am I doing now? I'll tell you what I'm doing now. I'm going to be working uh, as production designer and uh, first AD on the Vengeance Friday the 13th film. I'm going to be working with Jason Brooks. Jason Brooks! What made you want to do this particular project? Of all the stuff that you have done, do you think this is more, uh, a different challenge for you? Or do you think this is something a little bit more uh, more at ease your pace, but still a fun project? Yeah, you know, it's... It, it, a fun project. Uh, I was approached uh, by Brown Space uh, Films, a bunch of guys that I know, done some little things with them on and off, and I get along with everybody, and I decided that before I die, I'd like to have all four of the majors uh, somewhere on my resume. So once I'm done with this, uh, look out Halloween. Wow. <laughs> so you're going to be like the next, uh, what, 17th remake or prequel of Halloween? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, I, I tell you what. So, when it comes to like talent-wise, do you think, even though you've been in the business for for so long, do you think it sh should still be earned rather than just be recognized in this business? Oh well, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, uh, I, I kind of consider the way that uh, things are going that everybody's kind of starting from scratch again, because uh, just like uh, in the turn of the century. Uh, when all the equipment was uh, uh, first uh, made and they started to create a structure for films, then we used the same uh, equipment and devices and stuff. We were using all the same stuff uh, even in the 80s and most of the 90s. You know, cameras were extremely heavy. They were done with film. You had uh, grip equipment that had not changed uh, since the turn of the century. You had the name grips that had like come from being plumbers back in the day. The way that I feel is that 2000s were just to get the uh, equipment hammered out, and, and now you have a whole new, basically a whole new game. Distribution is uh, kind of starting from scratch again. And film, you've got all these amateurs that have almost as good equipment. Let's put it this way. I have the same equipment in my pocket with my phone. I have the same capacities in that phone as a $500,000 camera package had in 1983. I think that there's all these people that need to learn, kind of relearn how to do it with the tools that they have, and I'd like to be there for that. <laughs> And it definitely their attitudes change too because yeah, it's true you got all this nice equipment so but first of all, learn how to use it. Second of all, even though you may know how to use it, but can you actually perform it well and, and actually keep a level head about it? Well, you see, here's the thing. We had a uh, hundred years of development in the film in how to how to deal with basically the same equipment, but the equipment was refined and, and so forth. But here's the thing. All of that uh, knowledge was in the hands of the professionals, all the day-to-day -day of, of knowing how to do little things was uh, in the hands of an elite group that worked uh, primarily in Hollywood. And what I'd like to do is bring some of that knowledge to some of the new wave of filmmakers that are doing it w with all of this equipment because it's expanded the base. Excellent example of that would be the lenses that were used in the 70s and 80s. Uh, the lenses uh, that weren't built with computer, computer aided facilities, the, these lenses you know, had a softer aspect, uh, a much, much smaller depth of field, and things have been developing since then as 
soon as computers got involved, you know, all of a sudden the lenses were absolutely getting everything incredibly crisp and uh, working a longer and longer depth of field until you're seeing almost everything. In fact, uh, th think of uh, a skating film with the GoPro cameras and stuff like that. I mean, everything is crisp and, and you know, if you're trying to be narrative about it, you kind of are looking back at the 80s glass going, well, the thing is, is that glass helps me tell a particular story, and it lends itself particularly to horror films, it, whereas, you know, for instance, the GoPro effects lend themselves to the skaters because that's what they're used to. I'm trying to use the, the concept of, of that 80s glass and bring those we're bringing that concept onto the Vengeance film so that we, we can have more of that true 80s horror look. Oh, definitely. Do you think with these lenses, lenses, uh, of course, depending on how it's being used, do you think even though the, the, these are uh, really nice, fresh lenses that make it make everything look great, do you think some of these drawings, when they use it, do you think sometimes it, it takes away the image of the film itself? Well, it depends on what you're trying to do. I mean, you know, to, to stick to my equation with the, with the GoPro cameras, they have developed a style and a feeling that you want to see everything. You know, uh, it's it's kind of washing over you. But the thing is, is if you're doing, say, something that's romantic or something that's in horror, something that's moody, sort of like if you were listening to a Miles Davis tune, it's better if you hear that through a tube amp as opposed to the crispness of uh, a digital amp. Do you know what I mean? I do. Uh, you can totally tell the major difference. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's the same thing with music, you know, you, you stick with either analog or you stick with the, the stereotype. Exactly. <laughs> that goes all the way through because tubes were designed with, I mean, they knew that there would have to be a weakness uh, because engineering could only go so far. So certain tubes would sound a certain way and, and you would literally engineer in those like the highs or the lows or something and each tube would have its own character and that's kind of like the lenses of the 80s and the lenses of the 70s and now we're moving into a time where we have all these fabulous incredible techniques and just like anything else you learn how you have to learn how to work with them from scratch i'm going to bring some of the old techniques in to vengeance and just smash them together with with newer techniques and uh you know, we're going to do some um, amazing, more complicated shots than you would normally see on a uh, fan film. That, that's part of being a production designer, saying, well, you know, our overall look is going to be like this. We're going to have an 80s effect with the lenses and the glass. We're going to have a more complicated effect on the camera moves and that sort of thing. Uh, the, acting, the acting is going to be more real. See what I'm saying? Oh, I do. And there's amazing... Especially a lot of these uh, newer films, uh, there's a lot of awesome shots like overhead shots or underhead shots or even side face facial shots that, that looks like it can be risky in terms of, this, of the moment in the story, but it looks really, really good. Like, you get an objective oh. view from the character's view as well as a directorial view. Exactly. Look at, look at see, when, you, when you're thinking about what the difference is between filming now and filming then, let me just give you a quick example. Uh, if you had, say... Uh, doing a crane shot uh, an awful lot of older films you know had a crane shot at the beginning and then kind of pulled out of the film with a crane shot and part of the reason for that was you would think that you would want to use a, a maybe use that crane more 
but here's the problem with using the crane. Such a difficult process to set it up and to uh, get the room for it and to get everything locked into its place and to rehearse its movement and so forth that you got about two shots a day out of it. And because of that, you would do them for the two most dramatic moments, and those usually tended to be getting us into the story and pulling us out of it. Nowadays, you have a drone operator on the set, and he goes anywhere within the three-dimensional axis, uh, moves any way that you want to, and it kind of uh, blows out of the water that, you know, using a crane just for the beginning and the end. However, I'm going to add an addendum to that. If you had noticed recently that all those shots that overhead shots that are being shot with the crane, like for instance, following a car or looking out over the town or that kind of shot, that now those shots look very different because they are digitally very, very, very clean. They can't afford to get more complicated lenses up on them. <laughs> I love even the movement shots. What I mean, like that example, uh, Stanley Kubrick's uh, The Shining. I love the uh, where you know where the child is going down the hallway or going across. Oh or, right, yeah, panning like across exactly. the room. Oh, it was, uh, it was amazing work. Yeah, and, and, and those are very difficult to set up. And with the uh, drone operator, you can do all of that fairly simply. Definitely more of use and, and better use. And even still shots, just by sitting the camera. Uh, another example is like uh, Father, of the, Father of the Bride, if I got this right. The champagne shot, the, the intro the, for the credit scene. It It's just a glass of champagne, but you never know until it zooms out. And you're like, holy crap. <laughs> right, exactly. I was going to say, because... I, I've also seen, you know, the bubbles coming up and stuff, and you come up, and all of a sudden you realize that you're under the ocean. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's, like, it's little details yeah. like that. It's, it's really amazing, and it really pulls up. And you don't really need to put too much digital use to it on on, on such an organic use of, of a shot. Right, but, but boy, we sure made it easier, huh? <laughs> It's definitely, and I really have no complaints about uh, in terms of shots. I mean, there's some really fantastic, especially superhero uh, films. Holy crap, do they use the crap out of those, man. Like, all over the place, zooming in, zooming out, and this and, and that. I'm like, oh my gosh, man. It's just, it's crazy with this stuff, man. Uh, but you, with, with studios, like, running with these uh, rain, raining on new age films today, do you think cinema has a different definition on aspiring or inspiring? I think because a great middle range and bottom range of films is now in different hands. Uh, I, I think that big films are, are, the big companies are making big films, and you have films like Netflix that are making all the small films. I think that with the redistribution of that, there's a chance for a great deal of creativity. But I think that most of the really creative stuff is actually happening with some of the uh, low low budget things that eventually you're going to see some of the stuff in uh, Netflix uh, eclipsing, you know, in terms of story and so forth, uh, eclipsing some of the big films because I, I see them as being kind of big and clunky uh, often. I mean, have you ever seen a, a film called Dave Made a Maze? Absolutely incredible. You ought to catch it. Catch it on uh, Hulu, something like that, or something like uh, Frankenstein's uh, Army. Did you ever seen Frankenstein's Army? Frankenstein's is that the one where um, a, a crazy doctor and a bunch of mutants, or am I thinking of the wrong film? Oh yeah, crazy, crazy Nazi doctor. Uh, yeah, yeah, I never got to see it, but I know the story of it. Yeah, I've been wanting to see that actually. Absolutely crazy, and you know what? It became Overlord. <laughs> <laughs> it it is Overlord. It's the same movie. <laughs> Oh, wow. Great, though, you know? The <laughs> thing is, is uh, they did it really well with you know, very little money, which uh, which can be done now, you know? Uh, I, I really appreciate that. I, I'm trying to bring 
sort of a, a high level of, of expertise and trying to meld it with modern, younger film crews and uh, and all this great equipment that's out here. There's so many people out there that either want to just make the movie and, of course, make the big bucks, and there's ones that want to change culture-wise, that want to change something with using film, And but there are all those out there that want to make a really good film and just want people to acknowledge the film that, you know, here's the tools, here's the talent, we work really hard, that kind of mentality. Do you think there's just only a handful now with all that's going on with all, like, again, with all the new technology, all the distribution now and all the stuff, everything's going to digital, da-da-da-da-da? I think that there's a lot of people these days that are, are, are grabbing for a way to distribute, uh, to make and distribute uh, these films. I think that we're, we're at the very beginning uh, of a, a new rush of filmmakers. And because of that, I get this question all the time, well, how do I take the films that I'm making and, and how, how do I like make a buck off of them? How do I uh, get them distributed and so forth? And the thing is, is I don't have answers for that either. I don't think anybody does. It's a truly, truly custom path that anybody takes it to being a commercial filmmaker. And I think that you're going to look back at this time in 15 years and, and, and think of it this way. In 15 years, you're going to look back at this time, you're going to see the beginnings of all these great filmmakers and uh i hope to help some of those filmmakers along like, like you said you never know what's going to happen with this i mean the market fluctuates i mean it's almost like trying to sell a house you when you once you place it up there you don't know who's going to grab it you don't know who's going to be more interested in it. i mean you got a whole set of different crowd you got a new crowd you, i mean your film may be an all horror film your film may be a combination let's say between horror and superhero type film who knows but the problem is will it ever get any generating real money that's the biggest question mark that you know you'll never really know until eventually either someone wants to buy it and turn it to something they want to do and then eventually be distributed into something that you wanted out of all this after probably 10 years <laughs> oh yeah exactly I, I i think that uh that it's all completely re uh, restructuring right now and i i have no idea which way it's going to go i mean let's face it right even right now Netflix is considering releasing films, some of their films, into the theaters first. Maybe five films or three or three to five films a month. I mean, I think that that would be amazing because I think that there's a there's a dearth of like you know smaller, uh, more regional films out there right now. One of the problems is that the big film companies are are now getting used to the great big chunks of money that they can make off of an action film that's dubbed into several languages. And, and you know, a comedy doesn't really do all that well dubbed into other uh, languages. In fact, this is why you see the major uh, studios doing as many Marvel projects as possible. I mean, you know, pretty soon it's going to be like, hey, let's go to the Marvels instead of, let, hey, let's go to the movies. It, it, like it's all about the marketing thing when it comes to that. I mean, of course you want to put your new movies in there, but I mean, but you you want to make the biggest bucks you can. And one thing that they will let you know when you're working in films is that it's not an art; it's a business. Do me a favor. I've got a link to my book. I've wrote a great book about uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Four about the making of it. Stay tuned for more news about Vengeance and uh, listen to uh, my interview to your interview with Jason Brooks. And me, back-to-back, back, we're both going to be talking about Vengeance, uh, like I did. All I can say is, this is Mick Strong, uh, production designer. Yeah, go ahead and plug any more web addresses or anything real quick. Okay, uh, 
BehindTheScreensBook.com to get my book. I also have a podcast, Dream Warrior Review. You can uh, listen to me when you're not listening to Mike here. Thanks. Thanks a lot, guys.